Employment Hour is back. one 821 5900 The number to get a hold of. Lior, member of the team. You also have help at employmenthour.com. We're going to get into uh, lots of things today. Some emails and things that your employer won't tell you about workplace rights. Oh yeah, but we will. So cats out of the bag big time. Uh, first of all, we always get to the uh, the week that was. How are you, pal? I'm doing great. Uh, and it's been a very, very busy time. And it's, uh, it's a great time. I like it busy. I like to be able to speak to as many people as possible. And not only do I you know, get a microphone here and I get to to speak to thousands of people that are listening, I get to speak with many people at the office. I get to help people solve their employment law, their workplace right issues. So by all means, don't hesitate. You're going to get my contact information throughout the show. If we don't cover the question that you have on this show, call me. Let's talk privately. Let's uh, either speak in person or correspond through email. There's no bad questions. There's only answers and solutions. So don't, don't hesitate at all to reach out to me at any time. And to get us started here, let's, let, let me talk about a couple situations that uh, came across my desk just a few days ago. Uh, we've spoken in the past about employment agreements, and, and you know my, my thesis here and that employment agreements are an extremely important document. You spend so much time at work, and that agreement, the employment agreement, is the agreement that governs what happens in work and your rights at work. So uh, this, this one is a perfect example. I spoke with a gentleman who was in a very senior position and was made a, an excellent job offer from, uh, from another company. He was extremely happy about it, uh, great pay, uh, you know, a, a promotion for him, great step in his career, and uh, you know, was really kind of the position he's been always looking for. He contacted me. We wanted to re- review the 10-page the document that, <sighs> uh, that he was provided. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, in that agreement, after I reviewed it, all of a sudden it became less of an attractive job. It, number one, it gave the company the ability to change his role. It gave the company the ability to change his compensation. It gave the company the ability to lay him off temporarily. It also gave the company the ability to let him go whenever it wants with almost no severance. So with all these things, and he was going to leave a secure job, all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, is this job really worth it? Right. I, I can, it may sound great on paper, but how valuable it is if, is it if they can change it, if they can reduce my pay, if they can lay me off temporarily? Not so good. Well, uh, he, he was thankfully open to my, my comments on that, and I said, you can't just accept it. You can't just leave a secure job, sign a contract, and put yourself in that big risk. So luckily what he did is with some, some thoughts and uh, ideas for me, he went back to the company and he raised those concerns with them. And you know what, John? This company acted in absolute good faith. They've uh, agreed to those changes. They removed the problematic uh, issues. And I just found out from him yesterday that he signed off on a new contract without those problems. And I, I'm so happy for him. And I wanted to, to mention it here because employment agreements often contain terms that are problematic. They contain terms that are not favorable to you that at some point can cost you tens and tens of thousands of dollars. You have to be mindful. You have to do what this gentleman did. Get some advice. Understand what you're signing. Understand what the problem terms are. And then you can negotiate. And negotiating is not difficult. You don't have to say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. There's ways to do that where it's not confrontational. It's not difficult. And many companies are going to be quite receptive. So there's a very, very important lesson here. I guess this one had a, uh, a positive conclusion, partly because he wasn't going to them asking for a job. He was being induced. So he, he basically had more leverage, right? They wanted him. So you got to comply to my terms. He did. And some people think, well, yeah, I want the job so I don't have any leverage. But right. here's the thing. A company doesn't just hire someone. They go through a process. They interview and they do more interviews and they check references. And after all that process, if they decide that you're the right person, you're the person that we've always wanted for this job, not, not the other people, 
are they going to be willing to lose you because you're concerned, let's say, about job security? Well, most of the time they're going to say no. If he's our right candidate, we're going to work to keep him. We're going to work to make him happy. So you actually have a lot more leverage than you realize. You just have to identify the problematic terms in the employment agreement. It almost sounds like this is one of those documents that, you know, that, that everybody gets in that company. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, I forgot. We forgot to take that stuff out of there. You Some know of what that I mean? is that. Some yeah. of that is that. So you can't yeah. assume that just because it's in the employment agreement, the company is married to that, that the company right. really is insisting on it. Right. Oftentimes it's something they didn't even think about or something left over from another place. So don't assume that. You can always negotiate terms. You just need to know what to negotiate. What else you got going on? I spoke with a, a lady who was uh, let go uh, three months before she was ready to come back from maternity leave. And the company at the time had a legitimate reason. They were, uh, they were restructuring and her position was not available. But here's the thing, John. This was three months before she was ready to come back. They can't say now that three months from now, they're not going to have a job for her. They're not going to have a position for her. So even though at this point it looks like they're, they're, not, they're, they're not picking on her because she's uh, pregnant, it's still illegal. It's still a breach of the Employment Standards Act, a breach of the Human Rights Code. A company can't decide when you're on mat leave partway through that in the future, they're not going to have a job for you. Right. Their job is to take you back if at all possible, and they can only assess that at the time you're ready to come back to work. So that's a problem, and I'm going to deal with that to make sure that uh, uh, this issue gets resolved. So I wanted to remind everyone here, employers and employees, if you're on a maternity leave or a parental leave, the company can only assess their ability to take you back at the end of that leave. They can't be too preemptive here because they don't know what's going to happen when you kind of come back. We may not have a job for you today, but three months from now, we may be desperate for you. So don't right. be too proactive. We'll uh, take a short break into the severance pay calculator and things your employer will not tell you about the workplace rights, but we will. That is all coming up, so stick around. It's the Employment Hour right here on Global News Radio. Reach out, contact one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. There is a myriad of things that you will not know and your employer will not tell you about your workplace rights, but we're about to uh, open Pandora's box right here on this show. So, um, yeah, that's the reason why you're doing this because... There's so much ignorance. I mean, not in a positive way. There's so much ignorance about people's workplace. There right? is. There's ignorance. There's misconceptions. And you cannot count on your employer to tell you just, you know, these are your rights. Right. And I'm not saying because employers are bad. I'm not saying because employers are going to try to mislead you. Many cases, in my experience, the employer itself may not realize or appreciate what the law is, what the, the rights are. So it's your job to know what your rights are. And that's what we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you your things your employer won't tell you either because they don't want you to know or because the employer doesn't know itself. So this this is what this is about, telling you the things you have to know that no one else is going to tell you. First one we're going to get to is this. You don't have to sign an employment agreement if you're already employed. You don't have to sign an agreement if you're already working. If your company comes to you, your employer comes to you and says, hey, employee, uh, we need to sign a new employment agreement. We're having everyone sign these brand new employment agreements. Well, be very suspicious, okay? There's generally, as I said before, there's generally a reason why your employer wants you to sign an employment agreement when you hadn't before, and that is because there's better terms in that agreement for the employer. You absolutely should, number one, understand what you're signing, mm -hmm. ask questions, get it reviewed, and ultimately, if you decide that this is not better for you, it's not going to make things better for you, you can say no. Very important. You cannot be penalized, punished, uh, dismissed for cause because you don't sign an employment agreement. You absolutely can say, no, I'm good I'm with my current agreement, whether that's in writing or verbal. I'm good with my current agreement. I'm not going to sign that agreement. And in most cases, when you're an employee already and the company 
once you decide a new one, you're actually better off not signing that agreement. If, you're, if you've been off of that agreement, let me see it. Let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you if you, if you should be concerned. And if it is a bad agreement, you shouldn't sign it. Someone's listening right now going, oh, I just signed one last week, actually. Is it binding? Well, you know, that's a different question. Is it actually right. binding? Usually, and again, without getting too technical, if you're already employed and your employer wants you to sign a new agreement, even if you sign it, for that agreement to actually be binding, you have to get something in return for your signature. And that could be almost anything. It could be a pay raise. It could be extra vacation. It could be a promotion. It could be a signing bonus. But if you simply sign that agreement because your company told you to and nothing changed, your job was the same, your pay was the same, everything was the same, Arguably, it's not enforceable. But with that said, I never want anyone to sign an employment agreement mm-hmm. because they assume it's not going to be enforceable. That's just an invitation for disaster later on. Talking about workplace rights, your employer will not tell you about it. Next one is, and we touched on this on the, uh, the week that was, and that you cannot be temporarily laid off. A temporary layoff is something that your employer is not allowed to do. And not only is your employer usually not going to tell you that, well, never going to tell you that. They're probably going to tell you the opposite. We have a right to lay you off right. temporarily. And that's what we're doing. Well, I am now telling you what your rights are. And that is you don't have uh, to take a temporary layoff. A temporary layoff is a termination. So it's not that it's necessarily illegal. It's that when you've been laid off temporarily, you have an option. And one of those options is to treat that as a termination, to say, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to treat that as a termination, even though I know you're saying, employer, not terminating. I know you're saying that you're going to call me back at some point. It doesn't matter. The law says I can treat that as a termination. I can get my severance right now and, and, and deal with it that way. So if you've been laid off temporarily, no, the company doesn't have a right to do that. You have a right to treat that as a termination of employment, and you're probably better off doing that because if you don't, and if you accept it, you're going to give the company the right to do it again. I was going to say, what if you've been through it once already, then it's, you're too late. Yeah, you may be too late at that point. If yeah. you've let the company do that in the past to you, you have now created this new term, this new term of employment that says we have a right to do it. And how do we know we have a right? Because we did it before, and you were absolutely fine with it. If that mm-hmm. happened, now you may be in a situation where you're stuck. Now you, they may be able to do it again. Bad place to be. So don't let that happen the first time. You mentioned terms of your employment. That's the next one on the list. And that is uh, the terms of your employment cannot be changed in a significant way. Company may say, well, it's our uh, business. Uh, we're your employer. We can decide how to change your job. Maybe we're going to demote you. Maybe we're going to relocate you. Maybe we're going to give you completely different responsibilities. It's our decision. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Doesn't work that way. Okay, company does not have a right to change your terms. And then certainly not going to tell you. By the way, employee, just so you know, we don't have a right to change your terms. No, they're not going to tell you, (laughs) but I just did. So if you're in a situation where a company is changing the terms in a significant way, obviously in a negative way, you're not going to be upset if you're promoted and getting a pay raise. But if if it's a negative change, a demotion, uh, uh, more responsibilities for no more money, a relocation, anything negative like this, that could be a constructive dismissal. That could be something that the company does not have a right to do. And you you have a right to get compensation if that happens. So a significant change, not allowed usually. And it's something that uh, oftentimes gives rise to a, a constructive dismissal. Your workplace rights and the ones that your employer will not tell you about. More of those coming up here after we take a, a wee break. one 821 5900 and uh, help at com. It's the Employment Hour on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 help at com to reach out. You want to go to Severance Pay Calculator as well. Find out what you're really owed. 
before you uh, you sign anything. We're talking about the workplace rights. Your employer will not enlighten you too, but we are here. Next one is you get overtime even if you're on salary and even if the company hasn't approved it. Absolutely. Overtime, big topic. Uh, we've been talking recently about this in our, in our live shows. Overtime is something that is simple, but employers get wrong, employees get wrong. So let, let's clarify this and let me tell you what your employer won't tell you. Certainly your employer won't tell you that you get overtime even if you're on salary, okay? I've seen many cases where employers say, no, no, you're not an hourly, you get a salary. That's kind of an all-in thing, right? <laughs> so whether you work overtime or not, that's the deal. No, no, not so fast. Salaried employees get overtime as well. Usually overtime is calculated if, it's, uh, if you work more than 44 hours a week. That's time and a half. So we calculate what your uh, hourly rate comes to if for 44, divide your salary for the week by 44, and time and a half is what you get for anything over 44. Be very clear about that. It works just the same for uh, salaried employees. And what your employer certainly won't tell you, certainly, is that, by the way, even if I don't approve overtime, you still get it if you work it. Wow. They're not going to tell you that. No. Well, I just did. If you work the overtime because you need to work it to get the job done, your employer has to pay it. Even if they didn't approve it, even if they told you, you have to first get it approved. As long as it was necessary and it was legitimate, the company has to pay it. The company can't say, no, no, I'm not going to pay it because I didn't approve it. If you work the overtime, if you work more than 44 hours a week, company has to pay it time and a half over 44 hours a week. Is there exceptions? As far as jobs or types of employment? There are always exceptions uh, when it comes to law and certainly when it comes to overtime. The biggest exception, the biggest exemption, I should say, in overtime is with respect to managers. Managers usually are exempt from overtime. So managers don't get paid overtime even if they work more than 44 hours right. a week. Now, it's not enough to have the title of manager. You actually have to be managing, managing people to be exempt from overtime. There's other people that are exempt, professionals, for example, doctors, lawyers, accountants. Uh, they would be exempt from overtime. Other professions such as uh, pool cleaners and a number of others as well. IT professionals, right. for exa example, are uh, exempt. M most other professions, you get overtime 44 hours a week, time and a half. We are talking about the uh, workplace rights your employer will not... Uh Open the bag on. We are, uh, we're opening it right here and letting you know everything you need to know because it's the only way you're going to find out is through us quickly and swiftly. Uh, another one here, if the business is sold, you don't have to accept a job with the buyer. Yes, uh, very important. And, and oftentimes employers assume that it's a given. We sold the business, the buyer's offering you a job, so uh, you're there and that's it. No, it's not the case. You don't have to accept a job with the buyer. And, and what I mean by that is if you decide not to accept a job with the buyer, you're owed severance. Because why? Your employer with the company that was actually employing you is terminated. The fact that you can continue with another buyer uh, or another company that bought the business doesn't change that reality. So if you choose not to accept a job with the buyer when the business that you work at is sold, mm -hmm. you still get severance. Now, the amount of severance May, may vary depending on whether or not you have a good reason not to accept the job. If you do have a good reason not to accept the job, it's a different job, it's less pay, it's, uh, it's a different location, then in that case, you get your full severance. If you don't have a good reason, well, you know what, I'm going to go back to school, take this opportunity to enhance my skills. Well, in that situation, you still get severance, but you're only going to get your minimum entitlements. But either way, remember, if the business is sold, despite what your employer may tell you, you don't have a, uh, the obligation to accept a job with a company that's, that's uh, bought the business. If you're in that situation, if you don't want to accept, if they've offered you a job and you don't know if you should accept, call me, let's talk about that. Who pays it, buyer or seller? 
So if you don't accept the job, the seller always pays you severance because you never would have worked with the buyer, right? right? Remember though, the flip side of that is if you do accept the job with the buyer, they inherit your service. And because they inherit your service, if later on they let you go, they have to pay you severance that accounts for the time that you had with the previous company. So remember, you don't generally lose your, your seniority if you accept a job with a buyer. Get to one more here before we take a, a small break. These are the workplace rights your employer will not tell you about. The size of the company doesn't matter when it comes to severance. <laughs> and, and I added this to the list because I've seen so many uh, situations where a company says, and usually this is done in good faith. This is not a company trying to get away with it. They say, no, no, severance is for a larger company. We have a small payroll, so we don't have to pay severance. Let's be very, very, very clear. Your full entitlements, your full severance, also known as your common law severance, has absolutely nothing, nothing, to do with the size of the company or the size of the company's payroll. You're gonna get the same amount of severance whether you work for a company with two employees or 2,000 employees. So this is gonna be news to many employers. This is gonna be definitely news to many employees. Uh, So you go to severancepaycalculator.com to find out how much you're owed. Remember, the size of the payroll doesn't matter. Your employer may tell you otherwise. Hmm. Well, now you know for a fact that that is wrong. You're listening to us right now. Size of the payroll doesn't matter. You get severance if you lose your job, full stop. And again, you call me to get that information. You go to severancepaycalculator.com if you need to. Uh, don't don't believe anything else. Hmm, size doesn't matter. It's a relief. Uh, to reach out, one 821 5900 or help at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the show is on the way. Stick around. It's the Employment Hour on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 is the number. Help at employmenthour.com. Talking about the uh, workplace rights you probably don't know about and don't rely on your uh, employer to tell you these. We'll get to, uh, to more of them here as the list goes down. You are owed more severance than uh, what you've been offered. I just, you know, rather than phrase it differently, I'm just going to say this. You're owed more severance. Done. Full stop. Yeah. Why? Because... 90 plus percent of people are owed severance. And clearly your employer, when they let you go and they hand you that severance letter, they're not going to say, here's your severance letter. And by the way, you're owed more. That's (laughs) not going to happen. Well, it's my job then to tell you. And if you're listening, you're now know that you're owed more. And, And how do I know? It's not because I'm clairvoyant. It's not because I have skills like Uri Geller. It's not because of any of that. It's because of the fact that I've been doing this for 16 years. I've spoken with thousands and thousands of people. I've reviewed thousands of severance packages. And over 90% of them, over 90%, are not even close to being adequate. So you need to know that. You need to assume that. If you've been let go and have a package, before you even open the envelope and read it, you should assume that it's inadequate. And not to the tune of another week or couple of weeks pay. Usually to the tune of a number of months pay. And I've seen packages where you know, the difference was almost two years difference. So don't let that happen to you uh, without your understanding. Call me. Go to severancepaycalculator.com. You don't like me, go to Google and find another employment lawyer if you need to. That's okay. But you cannot and should not accept less than what you're owed. Your employer won't tell you you're owed more, but I just did. And by the way, you have a right to the same job after maternity leave. That's next on our list, right? The same job. This mm-hmm. is the key. The company doesn't have a, uh, the right to find you. Well, it's kind of a similar job or we just don't have a job because we've replaced you. They can't do that. Uh, they won't tell you that necessarily. Well, again, we just did here. 
You have a right to the same job of, after maternity leave uh, for the same pay. If the, if the pay for the job has increased, by the way, while you've been on, on a leave, you have to get this other pay, the new pay, the increased pay. Uh, there's no exceptions to that. There's no uh, ability for the company to, to have uh, you in a different position, to keep someone else instead of you. Uh, and they shouldn't also, as I said right on the week there was, they shouldn't be letting you go in advance of you coming back from maternity leave because, again, how are they going to know that they don't need you if you're not even ready to come back yet? So, again, now you know the truth. Talking about the workplace rights, your employer will not tell you. Here's next one on the list. Uh, you can take a very long disability leave and still remain employed. Don't worry about it. Yes, it's exactly right. And again, I don't, I, I can't and I won't count on employers to say, okay, oh, you're, you're disabled. Take as long as you need. No issues, no worries. Oftentimes I've seen employers say, well, you know, you, we can only keep your job open, open for so long or you can only be off for a month or six months. No, it doesn't work that way. The truth is that as long as you're unable to work and as long as there's a doctor that, you, that you're saying that corroborates you being unable to work, you can essentially be off as long as you need to. Whether it's a month, a year, or several years even, you can be off work. Now, in some cases, if you've been off for a very long time and there's absolutely no possibility of you coming back anymore, then that could be a frustration of contract. But in most other cases, as long as you're working on getting better, you're getting treatment, you can be off as long as you need to. The company still employs you. The company still has to try to bring you back, find position, even accommodate you if you need accommodation. Maybe you need modified duties, modified hours. So uh, that's a very important thing to remember. There's no time limit on being sick. There's no time limit on being off on a disability leave. We'll get to one final point here of the uh, workplace rights your employer will not tell you about. And this last one is, uh, is, is a good one as well. Doing some things wrong does not mean you can be let go for cause. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And most employers pull the trigger on a termination cause for cause before they should. And certainly they're not going to say, uh, we let you go for cause, but hey, it's not really cause. <laughs> Well, again, that's what we're here to tell you. If, the fact that you did something wrong, let's assume that you did. Let's assume that you made a, a mistake. Let's assume you said something you weren't supposed to, or maybe you were a, what the employer may call insubordinate. That does not mean that that's cause, because the question is not, did you do something wrong? The question is whether it was bad enough to be cause, whether it rose to the level of cause, whether there was uh, any possibility of continuing to employ you. So that's the real question. And as I said, most employers pull the trigger before they should. And, and oftentimes employees may decide not to look into this more, pursue it, because they think, well, I did do something wrong. So clearly the employer was right to let me go for cause because I did it. No, don't assume that at all. Also remember the rule that one incident of misconduct is almost never enough to be cause for termination. So now you know better. Your employer may not tell you that, but you know better now. If you've been let go supposedly for cause, you reach out, you call me. I want to get to an email here before we uh, we take a break. Doreen in Hamilton writes in again, help at employmenthour.com, says worked as a hairdresser full-time for five years. I get paid a fixed weekly salary that doesn't change. I was let go, and the salon owner said that I was an independent contractor, so I wasn't entitled to severance. Is that right, and does it make a difference that I was that I paid HST, or I was paid HST? Well, here's the, the thing, and this is very common, by the way, with, with salons. This is very common with other professions as well. Uh, but you know, with hairdressers, oftentimes they're treated as independent contractors. It doesn't work that way. If you go to work and you have a job and someone pays you for the work that you do and you go, go home and the next day you come back and you do the same thing, 
you're an employee, you have a job, you're not an independent contractor. And certainly it sounds with uh, Doreen here, she's not an independent contractor. She gets paid a, a weekly wage, uh, same as everyone else. The fact that she may believe that she is or she signed a paper or the fact that she's charging HST doesn't change that. She shouldn't be charging HST, but the fact that she is doesn't make her an independent contractor. It doesn't change the, the legal reality right. of what she is. So she's an employee. Because she's an employee, she is owed severance, the same as any other employee, based on her age, her position, and the length of her employment. This is a very common situation. There's probably dozens and dozens of people right now listening to us on the station who, we, who uh, are supposedly independent contractors, but the law would consider them to be employees. That means they have rights to a number of things. They could be owed overtime and vacation pay and holiday pay, but it also and definitely means they're owed severance if they lose their job. We will get into the duty to accommodate, what it means and what it's about uh, after a short break. one 821 5900 Help at employmenthour.com as well. It's the Employment Hour on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 would be the number. It is help at employmenthour.com to reach out anytime through email as well. We often talk about uh, the duty to accommodate on the show we have for years. What, what does it mean, duty to accommodate? Duty to accommodate comes down to the employer's obligation to facilitate or to help an employee that has certain specific requirements. Often we see it in the context of a disability leave where an employee requires accommodation because they can't necessarily do their job in the way they used to. So they need accommodation with respect to uh, not lifting over a certain am- amount of weight or uh, working less hours or working from home because their medical condition requires them to right. be accommodated. Now, uh, there could be other types of accommodation. Uh, for example, some person for religious reasons needs to uh, be able to leave early to because they have uh, a, a church service or synagogue service or what have you or, or or not to work on a certain day on the weekend for religious reasons now it's based this duty to accommodate arises from the human rights code and the human rights code gives you rights based on certain things race ethnicity disability religion marital status uh, sexual orientation so anytime you need an accommodation based on those issues then the company has to do it. The company has a very strict duty to accommodate. We call this accommodation to the point of undue hardship. What that means is even if it's difficult to accommodate, the company still has to do it. Now, the fact that uh, I'm a basketball fan and I want my employer to accommodate me by allowing me to go home early so I can make it to the game on time, that's not accommodation because the human rights code doesn't uh, protect people based on their love of basketball, for example. But if I had to go home early because I have to care for my child and that's the only way and I'm the only one that can care for my child, that would be different. The employer would have to accommodate me because there's an obligation to accommodate based on what we call family status. So it's a very broad obligation uh, and employees and employers should know about it. Yeah, but the Raptors are doing really well. You don't want to miss a game. They're, you know, that should be, you know, accommodation. Maybe well, you got to go home and take care of your kid who's watching the basketball game. Okay, but. so maybe that was a bad example. Employees should accommodate <laughs> right. based on Raptors. But if it was the the, Ra- uh, the Jays, maybe not yeah, Forget so about it. Maybe yeah. next season. Uh, who has the right to be accommodated? So again, it has to be based on, on one of the grounds uh, enlist, uh, listed in the Human Rights Code. So uh, based on, again, if it's a religious reasons, that's protected by the Human Rights Code. Disability, again, protected by the Human Rights Code. Family status protected by the human rights code so it has to be tied to that and to need to to to, uh, trigger that duty to accommodate you need to be able to show that the only way really your rights can be protected is by accommodation from your employer so if for example uh, I I don't necessarily need 
to uh, to be home and on time to pick up my child because my wife or my husband can do that mm. uh, and just as easily, then the employer doesn't have to accommodate. The employer's duty to accommodate only happens when that's really the only way you can meet your your uh, uh, your rights. That's the only way for your your rights to be protected. Oftentimes, John, the most common, as I said, is about uh, when it comes to disability, the employer has to accommodate. The employer has to do to make changes to allow you to do the job, and that's triggered by a doctor. If your doctor is saying, hey, this is the accommodation this person needs, they can't lift more than 30 pounds, they can't stand for more than an hour at a time, then that, those are accommodations your employer has to make, even if it's not easy. You use the term undue hardship, so what's the threshold? When is you know, enough enough? Enough is enough for an employer. And you know, there, there's been many uh, legal fights over this term uh, in terms of what's undue hardship. Well, you know, so I, I can't necessarily answer that very easily. Uh, it's a situation where it's so difficult and so costly that it just becomes unreasonable. The fact that it does cost money to accommodate or it's going to require some uh, finagling doesn't mean that it's undue hardship. At some point, you know, it's going to be so costly, so difficult that uh, the company doesn't have to do it. And, and this is another one of those situations, kind of like a termination for cause, when the employer kind of backs away from this idea of accommodation before they should. They say, no, no, this is too hard mm-hmm. before it really is too hard. So if you're seeking accommodation and your employer says, oh, no, no, that's too much. We don't have to do that. We don't want to do that. That actually may be a failure to accommodate. That's likely a breach of the human rights code. You really want to reach out to me if that happens because it's a very high threshold for the company to say, no, no, that's too much. Contact, by the way, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmenthour.com. The scenario, if you're an employee at a company and uh, you need accommodation, possibly your employer can provide accommodation, but they're choosing not to do so. How do you know? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's tough. How do you know if the company can't accommodate for real or they just don't want to? And and it's not always obvious. A few things to consider. Generally speaking, the bigger the company, the more resources it has, then the more accommodation is expected of it. You know, if I work for a company with one employee, with one location that's uh, 10 by 10 feet, well, there's only so much the company can do within those parameters. So arguably, you know, it's going to be more difficult for them to accommodate than if I work for a massive company with thousands of people and a lot of resources and, uh, you know, different things that it can do. More is going to be expected from that company. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing is if a company immediately says we can't do it, that's always a bad sign. I'd rather a company say, here's what we've done to, to try to accommodate you. We looked at this, we looked at this, and we looked at this, and we concluded that there's nothing that, that fits the accommodation that you need. Well, so again, you want to look for those signs, but ultimately, if you're not sure, if, if you believe that there's something that the company is able to do, but they're just choosing not to, there's probably something there when there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. In my experience, uh, companies that want to accommodate, in most cases, are able to accommodate. Right. It's companies not wanting to because they're thinking it's too, too much or too hard or too, uh, uh, too unfair to the other employees that that's when they get into trouble. That's when it becomes a human rights violation. Okay, so we'll take that company that doesn't want to and says, you know, for one of the reasons you just laid out, and they figure, okay, we'll just terminate this person and pay severance. Can't do that. You can't do that. You can't let someone go when they're asking for accommodation. That's a violation of the human rights code. So if I'm uh, coming back from a disability and I say, employer, I need a gradual return to work. So uh, my doctor says that I can work, uh, you know, four hours the first day and then gradually increase me back to my 40 hours over the next month. Well, if the company says, no, no, here's a severance package so long, 
They can't do that. They cannot let me go because I'm seeking accommodation. They cannot let me go because I was off on a disability. It doesn't matter how much severance they pay. That's illegal. Human Rights Code makes it very, very clear. Can't let someone go. So this is one of the exceptions to the general rule. The general rule, of course, is the company can let you go for any reason. They cannot let you go, irrespective of severance, because you're asking for accommodation, because of the fact that you may have had a condition, because of, the, of your religion, because of your family status. They can't do that. It's illegal. One more of these talking points before we flip over to some emails, but first I got a break. 1-855-821-5900 is the number. Help at employmenthour.com as well. It's the Employment Hour. Rolls on right here on Global News Radio. To reach out and contact Lior anytime, by the way, rest of his team, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmenthour.com. We'll wrap up our conversation on, on uh, duty to accommodate and move over to a few more emails. Uh, last one I know people are probably asking as they listen to the show this last hour saying, well, what can an employee do if their employer does not provide proper accommodation and they're let go? Well, if they're let go, then they need to call me right away. They, they need to uh, immediately call me. There's no exceptions to that. But, you know, what happens in a situation where you're asking for accommodation? The employee should be an active participant in that process. So give your employer suggestions. You know, how about I, you know, I work in this area or how about I do this? Be an active participant. Try to help your employer help you. You know, the old line, help me help you. Yep. It's the same thing. Help your employer help you. Help your employer accommodate you, whatever you can, whether it's through suggestions, whether it's through some flexibility, uh, whatever you can to make that happen. If despite that, the company won't accommodate, they don't want to, they, uh, they're not trying, or they're just not trying hard enough, remember, that's a human rights violation. And if the company commits the mortal sin of letting you go in that situation, again, that's illegal. You really have to connect with me but always try to help your employer accommodate you. Let's get to a few emails as we roll on here. Saul is uh, up next. Saul says, I work as a payroll clerk and have to work extra hours to get the job done, but my employer insists that I should get the job done on time and that he won't pay overtime. Can I get overtime and can the employer say that I just wasn't efficient enough with my time? Well, you know, that, that's a problem. And, you know, what I would do if the company is specifically saying do not work overtime, if you do work overtime, by the way, if Saul does work overtime, he's going to have to get paid. But then the company is going to be very unhappy with him for working the overtime and having to pay him. So what I would say is, you know, document things. So if you can't do the job, uh, then tell your employer, here's what's not going to get done. Here's what I've been doing. Make sure your employer knows you're not just sitting uh, at your desk uh, checking your Facebook account, that you're actually working. Document that. Tell your employer, here's what I did from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, so that later on when they say, well, you didn't finish the job, you can say, well, I showed you what I did. You told me I'm not allowed to work extra hours. Mm -hmm. What can I do? Either expect less work from me or pay me to stay later and do the work. You can't have it both ways. So can he work overtime? Yes. Will he get paid? Yes. Again, don't necessarily recommend that because if he does that, the company is going to be unhappy with him. That's going to cause conflict. Best to try to show the employer that the employer is being unreasonable and they either have to have him work less or allow him to work overtime. Email is help at employmenthour.com. Sean, up next, says my severance letter says that if I find another job, the employer will stop paying me severance and give me half of what is owed. Is that legal? So there's generally two ways, John, a severance offer is structured. The first is structured as a lump sum payment. We're going to pay you 12 months pay. Here's a check for 12 months and off you go. That's option one. Option two is a company, instead of paying it as a one payment, they'll pay it over time, what we call salary continuance or salary continuation. 
So instead of paying you for 12 months, we're going to or pay you one check for 12 months, we'll pay you over the next 12 months. You'll get a check every two weeks from us or direct deposit and off you go. Usually, when a company chooses the salary continuation option, they would also have a condition that says that if you find another job while we're still paying you, we'll only give you half of what's outstanding. Usually that is legal. Mm -hmm. It is legal because if you find another job, it does reduce your former employer's obligations to you. Those severance obligations get reduced. So a company can, quote unquote, take advantage of the fact that you found another job. So that in itself is legal. Two things though I want to say. Number one, uh, oftentimes the amount of time that the company is going to offer to pay you is going to be completely inadequate. So maybe the, that 12 months that they said they, they're going to pay you for should have been 18 months or 24 months. So that's problem number one. You need to get advice for that. And number two, even when a company says we're going to pay you by way of salary continuation and stop paying you if you find another job, that's oftentimes something that we can negotiate out. Mm-hmm. We can negotiate a, a severance that is guaranteed without this penalty if you find another job. Another reason why it's so important to get that advice if you're staring at that severance letter and if you lost your job. Does it have to be in the severance uh, language that they're going to pay you half? Absolutely. All right. If all it says we're going to pay you 12 months, then then you get 12 months even if you find another job the next day. For them to be able to quote-unquote take advantage of you finding another job, that has to be part specifically of the agreement that you signed. It would actually have to say those words. So again, to avoid any issues, misconceptions, to avoid any uh, questions, call me. Let me review that severance offer with you and tell you exactly what it means. Barry, you are up next. Uh, says, I received a notice of termination, but this was extended three times before I was actually finally let go. Is it appropriate for the employer to extend the notice of termination like that? Well, here's the thing. Why do you get notice of termination? You get notice of termination to tell you how long you have before you're out of a job, how long you have to find another job. That's why notice of termination counts towards your severance. Mm -hmm. So if I tell you, John, uh, you're out of a job in two months, you know, okay, I got two months here. I got to try to find another job. But if I keep extending it, say, okay, John, you know, I told you two months, but it's going to be another two months. And then I extend it again and again. Well, at some point, you're going to stop believing me. I'm not even going to bother looking for another job because it's probably going to get extended. So I'm not really eager to be out there uh, pounding the pavement, right? Because it's going to be extended. It's because of that idea that when the company continues extending notice, they lose the ability to rely on that notice. Uh, Usually once we have more than a couple of extensions, we say, well, no, that notice notice is ineffective, which means when the company does eventually let the person go, they can't say, hey, we already gave you eight months notice. No, no, that notice would not count and they would have to pay instead full severance. So that happens often. If a company keeps extending that notice, if that happens to you, Please, please get on the phone, call me, or email. Do you see a lot? Do you see it happen a lot? Uh, well, often or no? I actually was on a court of appeal uh, a few years back on exactly this case. Wow. The company gave notice and they said, no, no, it all counts. And I said, no, it doesn't count. Court of appeal agreed with me, case called Di Tommaso. Uh, so I, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this specific issue. We'll uh, take it from there. You want to reach out anytime, get a hold of Lior and the team, one 821 5900 and help at employmenthour.com. And of course, always go to severancepaycalculator.com. If you want to find out what your full entitlement should be, there's a contact button at the bottom of, uh, of that as well. Again, severancepaycalculator.com. Till next time, it's been the Employment Hour here on Global News Radio.